Welcome to With You Every Step, the solo travel podcast that explores, explains and hopefully inspires you to travel the world by yourself. I'm your host, Michelle Lee. Welcome, Yo Mafia. Welcome to me. Hi. I am so wrapped to have you here to talk about DJing. Yeah. Or travel. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Well, we can talk DJing. There's a lot to go into this. So <laughs> you fire away because I am ready to answer all your questions. So for those that don't know, Yo Mafia is a DJ and she travels around the world doing what she does. You know, they have DJs. Some DJs have these quote things that they put under their name like, I don't know, I, maybe I'm the only one, but mine is the international party DJ because I travel so much and there's a, I've got a logo. One of my logos is pretty much a globe of me going around the world. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I love to travel. That's what we love. I know. That's why you're here. Well, I get paid to travel. I mean, come on, isn't that the dream? That is the absolute dream. How did you come up with the name Yo Mafia? Well, I used to work in a record store in the late 90s and we would buy goods in good faith because they were secondhand. So you'd buy from people bringing in their unwanted record collection. Sometimes you'd get the seedy person that may have stolen the product. We always had to, we wrote down, you know, our name. We covered ourselves by putting our names whenever we bought the product. And then if the police had a report that the stolen goods were missing, they would come to us and ask us, and then we would be cleared, basically. we've had okay. there, was a, there was a loophole in it, whatever. Anyway, so obviously I had bought some stolen goods unbeknownst to me and a policeman came in before he'd come in, had read my name, obviously read it completely wrong. I don't usually tell people my real name, but my real name is Maria. And he obviously mistook the R for an F and said, could I speak to a mafia in Paris, please? And I went, could you mean Maria? And he's like, oh, I thought your parents would have a sense of humour to call you mafia. And I was like, yeah, man, it's Maria. And anyway, so when we, when I signed the thing, whatever, he's like, all right, thanks so much, mafia. And I went, it's Maria. It was, just, it was a pretty funny day. And then I actually started thinking because at the time I was like just starting out as a DJ and I was like, what am I going to call myself? And I come up with this really crazy name, which was Fat and Wacky because I was P-H-A-T, pretty hot and tempting. Wacky, that would have not have gone down well. So when I heard Mafia, I was like, actually, you've given me a really good idea. Because basically when I started, there wasn't many female DJs in Melbourne at all. I obviously played a lot of hip hop, so it had that hip hop connotation. And I, I wanted it to be gender non-specific. And so Mafia was the name. And then my good friend of mine designed me a logo, which was based off a rap show from MTV called Yo MTV Raps. So they, and people would always yell out down the street to me, yo, mafia. And so I was like, all right, let's just do that as a logo. Awesome. And then people started calling me yo, mafia. And obviously yo, mafia looks bigger on a flyer too. It's all about aesthetics. And then I got sued by MTV America. Oh. So obviously someone knew who I was because I'd used the logo and they said, you can keep the name. That's fine. You just can't use the logo. So I was like, well hey, someone knows me in America on MTV and this is pretty amazing. And so I was allowed to keep the name, so it's still Yo Mafia. Okay. So just call me Mafia though or Muff, whatever you want. Muff? Muff. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people call me Muff. <laughs> okay. Maff. Maff, Muff. Yeah. Maff. Yeah, Maff sounds better than Muff. Maff. <laughs> Muff takes me down a whole other way. <laughs> as you were. As you were. <laughs> okay, so how did you get into DJing? Well, I used to be an actor, so I grew up in Adelaide 
acting all through my childhood pretty much. I think I had a lot of energy and my parents were like, what are we going to do with her? She's crazy. They put me into acting, calisthenics, gymnastics, netball, recorder, violin, everything. So I was actor all through my life pretty much. I came to Melbourne to go to VCA and did my Bachelor of Dramatic Arts there and then obviously uh, finished up at the school and, you know, had that hard life of what am I going to do as an actor? How am I going to get work? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to do this? And then at some point I got offered this job in a record store, which was the record store where the policeman came, that I'd wanted for so long because I loved music. And I was at this crossroads of getting this lead role at La Mama and then in Melbourne, which is a great theatre company or theatre in Melbourne, and getting this full-time gig in a music store. And I was like, what am I going to do? You know, I'd been acting all my life, so which road do I go down? And I decided to go down the music route just because I thought I needed some stability in my life and also because I loved music. And then from there, obviously, I became a record cleaner. So I cleaned the vinyl and graded it and priced it all and then got a lot of great vinyl for myself and then started playing it out. And then I just, through word of mouth, people started booking me. So it was kind of really organic. And I think because I had that acting background, I knew how to network myself really well before Facebook, before MySpace, before any of that. And I just created a show on stage with the acting ability. And then, yeah, I think I was very much one of those, still to this day, more so you have to see me live to get it. And then you're like, oh, my God, she's awesome. Yeah. Oh, my God, I just like totally blew smoke up my <laughs> patootie. Whoopsie. <laughs> See that networking? <laughs> Working well. <laughs> I mean, it's true though. Yeah. I have seen you live a few times and the name sticks. Yeah. And there's a lot of other DJs I've seen live that I couldn't tell you who they are. Yeah. Is it because I'm a girl? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I, I think it's the name and your persona. Yeah, I don't know why I even asked that. I think maybe because I think also, yeah, the persona thing definitely because I'm not somebody that you look at and go, oh, it's a chick. You know, you can't tell. And that was also the reason why I wanted the name Mafia as well because I didn't want to be boxed in and I never was just a hip-hop or R&B DJ. I'm a party DJ. I play everything. And I think that I knew very early on watching DJs it was such a cool thing to do and I'm so not cool like that. I don't care. I have no inhibitions on stage and I just wanted that stage to be my home and I wanted people watching me to go, she's having a better time than anyone else. Oh, my God, this is awesome. Yeah, you because know? It's, it's addictive. It's addictive. Yeah, yeah. and it's also contagious. Contagious. It's yeah. also contagious. Yes. And people... I'm a disease on the dance floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. So when was the first time you got to travel for work? Oh, my gosh. That's taking me way back. Like on a plane? Yeah. Okay. I think it may have been, I was going to say the Logies, but the Logies were in Melbourne because they've now just changed to Gold Coast. So that wasn't, no. I, look, I can't remember. I think the last couple of years I have flown so much that it's all become such a blur as to where it all started the first time. I know the first time I, I was really scared of flying because I lived one street away from the tarmac in Adelaide. Oh. Hence the loud voice. It travels really well. <laughs> and I was really scared of flying because I always thought the plane was going to come into the house. So I didn't get on a plane. Does that mean you can sleep through anything? No, opposite. Really? I am like lightest sleeper ever. And I, I put that down to being a DJ. DJ, you hear everything. 
and okay. it doesn't turn off. And a lot of artists are like that. They have to wear earplugs and face mask, everything to shut everything down because you can't turn off. Yeah, okay. It's just too much energy all the time coming at you. So, I would think having the plane so loud that you would be able to sleep through anything. No, no. Because mm. I was constantly paranoid it was going to come into the house. Yeah, I'm scared. <laughs> I know that, yeah, I didn't fly for a very long time. We went overseas when I was really young and I hated it. I screamed on every plane. Oh. I was that seven-year-old that everyone hates. That kid just doesn't shush. Where do you think that fear came from? From the airport. From, from being close to the plane? 100%. I was so scared of them. I was so scared. And my parents love the airport to this day. They'll go to the airport just to have a coffee. Really? <laughs> they are obsessed <laughs> with travelling and they're obsessed with airports. So they will do anything they can to go to an airport. For me, it was a total different situation. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't, didn't like it at all. The first time I went on a plane from seven, I didn't go on one till I was 21. So I waited that long. Okay. I just didn't travel that whole time to, at VCA to go to Sydney to audition out of VCA to, for agent's day to get an agent. That was petrifying, petrifying. And then all of a sudden now this is my life. Yeah. So now I'm cool. I'm all right now. I mean there's those moments where it gets a bit turbulent and I'm like, oh, my God. You're that person that holds on really tight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of look around and make sure. Is anyone else panicking? Oh, no, we're good. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember the first time yet. It's a blur now. Like the last two years, I've flown so much. <laughs> it's. Do you remember the big first trip overseas that you got to work? That would have been so when I went to the UK and I was working in Selfridges. It's actually probably the one of the places I learned really to DJ. And then from there, I went to New York, DJed. And then. What did you do in New York? I So I went there. I got flown over for it. I used to work for a sneaker magazine. That was part-time and then I would DJ the rest of – like on the weekends just to keep up with my undying habit of sneaker collecting and, you know, getting them for free because I worked at the magazine. And they flew me over to Atlanta to do this gig there at a big sneaker convention and all these famous rappers were there. It was just so surreal. From there in Atlanta, a whole crew of people because I was quite well known – as being the representative of this magazine worldwide. These people started flying me out to all their cities to DJ in their clubs. So they flew me out to New York and they threw me this kind of sneakerhead party DJ thing. It was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. How many, now I think about it. it how many sneakers cool. did you get? Look, I probably ended up having at least like five to 600 pairs. <gasps> no. Oh my, I was the Imelda Mel cost of uh, sneakers, yeah. It oh was my terrible. golly gosh. I've, I've calmed down now. Where do you keep them all? Well, I've, I've got a, like a special unit made. I'll show you afterwards. But I've only got like probably about 70 pairs now. I wear like one pair. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I, I went through a stage when I was playing basketball that, you know, it was cool to collect yeah. really cool sneakers. That's right. But then I was getting to the point where I didn't want to wear them because yeah. they're too cool. That's right. And then I had to stop because I was like, where am I going to put all these shoes? This is the problem, especially when you're like living in, a, in Melbourne in a small place. I had a storage unit and I was just like, this has got to stop. i got to sell these. Like I'm just basically paying for storage to never wear these shoes. <laughs> yeah. And they the, the, the material doesn't last. It disintegrates. So I sold them all for like 20 bucks. I was like the Robin Hood of sneakers, just like giving to the poor. <laughs> giving to the poor. Yeah, so now I've calmed down a bit. Even like when I'm travelling too, I used to take a whole suitcase just of sneakers because I didn't know what I wanted to wear. You know, Now I'm like. Different outfits, different colours. 100%. Everything had to coordinate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more. Just whites? Do you take your whites? Now, just white on whites. Yeah. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> I 
did exactly the same thing. I've got like these orange Nikes and and I, what do you wear them with? No, they don't blend get... in anymore. No, no, it's just whites on white. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> so a big party in New York. That sounds amazing. Yeah, that was incredible. That was inc- amazing. And then like I didn't travel again. I still haven't been back to America and that was 2010 and I'm dying to get back. So you didn't do LA? Yeah, I did LA as well. Literally, like, as I said to you, these last two years have been so insanely hectic that anything before that, it's kind of hard to digest because I'm very much a live in the moment kind of person. And to kind of go back, a lot of times I'm like, was that a memory or did that actually happen? Yeah, that happens, right? It happens to me all the time. Oh, good. I was like, you were looking at me like, what? I was like, oh, my God, am I weird? No, (laughs) it happens to me all the time. And I was like, did that actually happen? Sometimes I have to ring my mum and be like, mum, did this happen or not? She's like, how do you not know? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know, because you're living in the moment too much. You're not not collecting the memory. You're just doing it, I guess. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, we, we can think that and just go with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Early on a, Alzheimer's. Yes. No, 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 that's not us. <laughs> Shush now. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> what was I saying? So in the last two years, tell me about yeah. the travel that you've done. Oh, it's mainly been, oh, no, no, I've gone overseas too. I've done, well, I signed with Mushroom Records and got this great opportunity to become the Fox FM R&B Fridays DJ, which for anyone overseas listening is basically on Fridays, one of the well-known stations in Melbourne play, oh, sorry, in Australia, play nothing but R&B the whole day. And then the concept is after that day, you can go to the nightclub in the, any city in Mel- in Australia. They have an R&B Fridays nightclub in each city. And then myself and the other DJ Horizon will fly to those cities and headline. So you get to kind of experience the R&B Friday DJ that has been mixing on the radio live. Is that every Friday in every city? Every Friday in every city. So what happens is say like this weekend I'm in Sydney, Horizon will go to Brisbane. Next weekend I'll go to Perth, Horizon will go to Adelaide. And so who's we, DJing in Melbourne this weekend when you're not available? So then what they'll have their residents. So they'll just okay. have their resident DJs that are there. And then so once a month each city okay. get the R&B Fridays DJ. So I was really fortunate to come on board because this is a relatively new brand for Mushroom. But the guys that have run the, the whole concept have been really big in the hip hop and R&B scene for a very long time. So they've known me. I've been doing it for 20, 20 years, I think, this year. So they've known me. They knew who I was. I was always, how come they never asked me to do this? Because, you know, I'm very R&B, hip hop. But it was something where they were kind of just working out whether this was going to be something big. Yeah. So they, if it was going to work, If take it was going to work, yeah. yeah. And it did. It took off huge. <laughs> and it got to the point, yeah, where they needed two digits. I mean, they probably need more, but at the moment, you know, we're doing pretty well, just the two of us going along. And we're, we really complement each other, me and Horizon, because he's very young and plays all the newer stuff. And I'm more of the older set, you know, with the old school 90s throwbacks. So we complement each other really well, which is good. Yeah. So you've been to the clubs in the US where they have R&B clubs? Yeah. How do you feel that they compare to Melbourne clubs? I think that now it's getting more and more like everything is the same. Like there's nothing special anymore. It's to the point where people will actually literally go to the club, do an Instagram story or a Snapchat and then leave. And so it's really hard for a lot of these clubs to keep people in the club. And it's more and more becoming like a bar thing or underground warehousey stuff. I think the R&B 
it's huge in those big cities like Vegas and stuff like that, where it's you know that commercial music. I think in the I think in New York, I know in Europe for sure. I mean, it's it's very much more disco that really is taking off there. Obviously, all you hear on the radio in the states is R and B and hip hop. Yeah, That's absolutely. Pop now, because I remember going to a, a club in Chicago. Yeah, and I remember thinking, wow, this is an R and B club. Yeah, and that was a long time ago. And yes. being in Melbourne and going to the R and B clubs, I didn't feel like we were quite at the standard they were over there. I flew to work in Greece because my family has a hotel in Rhodes and I worked there in 2001 and then flew to London to work and then ended up in America. Before I left, there was no – when I was working in the record store even in the late 90s, early 2000s, we weren't allowed to play hip-hop in the the store because it wasn't shop-friendly. There were no clubs. When I came back, it had started but it was very kind of new. Yeah. And no one kind of knew how to do it well. And also there's that whole appropriation thing going on too where there's a lot of white people playing, you know, African-American music and is it cool and what? how do we do this? Now I think, you know, we've got a pretty healthy scene in Melbourne. Like there's yeah. a lot of clubs, a lot of clubs playing that music. I feel like now it's the most popular. Yeah, it's everywhere. And it's I know everywhere. when I was in my 20s, uh, actually even at school, I was huge into R&B yeah. and hip-hop and yeah. I used to get picked on. Right. I because yeah, it wasn't cool. No, grunge was cool. Yeah, like of course. Like Nirvana yes. and all of that. Yes. And so I got massively picked on oh, for yeah. it. Oh, yeah. And then I remember years later, years and years later, seeing a guy that was into grunge at an R&B club <laughs> and that used to pick on me and I went, ah, <laughs> interesting. You know I know the DJ, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It wasn't cool. I mean, I was always into it. I've been into it forever. I think I was like 12 when Breakdance came out, the movie, and I was just like, what is this? i got to learn to do this. And I was a gymnast, so I knew how to do backflips and stuff. So I I picked it up quite easy. I would get my friends that would go to the States to bring back like the sneakers and the records and all that and because you couldn't get anything like that here. Now it's just so easily accessible. Yeah. I mean, even with travel now too, like to bring back to travel, it's like it's so accessible to just get on a plane now and go somewhere. Whereas back then it was just like. And expensive. It was so expensive. So expensive. And now because, you know, as I said, I travel so much, i got points. Yes. Points are great. Points, points are great. Are good. The last couple of years I've been around Australia at least 20,000 times. <laughs> I went to Greece as well, got flown to Greece to DJ for George Columbaris's wedding, who's a famous chef. In Australia. Greek he's chef. Greek chef. Yeah. Hellenic mm. Republic is his restaurant in Melbourne. Yeah. And there's another, there's a few. Yeah. He's got Jimmy a few. Grants. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys. Yeah. yeah. It was incredible. Incredible. And that was the first time I'd flown that far overseas since 2001. Yeah. So a good 18 years. And you coped okay on the flight? Yeah, it was all right. It was actually quite fine. You know, I have a lot of pain you know if I'm jumping up and down like a crazy person from my gymnastic days so I was like really worried about that constantly on the do I sit on the window do I got an aisle I always did you, go what aisle. did you pick I always go aisle. really I always go window right so I got aisle because I like to stretch out and I got to go to the toilet quite a bit and walk up and down so I'm not going to disturb anyone so I booked that and paid for my seat and then of course as we were walking on that bridge to get onto the plane, there was this woman in front of me with a screaming kid and then I went, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, there's going to be crying kids on this plane. Great. I hadn't thought about that. This kid was just going off and I was like, I feel so sorry for who's going to be sitting next to him. No, it was you. It was me. Oh, no. You couldn't believe the luck, right? But then 
the gods smiled down on me because this woman who was like three rows in front kept looking behind at me and I was just going, what is she looking at? And then the girl, the woman next to me who had the baby on her lap, so it was even going to be worse, the baby's going to be on her lap the whole time. And she goes, would you be okay to swap seats with my friend who's got her baby as well because we would love to sit together but it's a window seat and I was like, it's a window seat. What do I do? It's a window seat but it's no babies. I'll take the window seat. Yeah, of course. Sure, do it. It was actually okay. I thought you were going to tell me that you slipped like a sleeping tablet into like the kid's milk or something. (laughs) That probably would have been option B. (laughs) Possibly. But yeah, I took the window and that actually ended up being fine. But I'm not good with confined spaces. That's another reason why I don't like flying because I'm a bit claustro. Yeah. And heading to Europe, you are on a plane for a very long time. Yeah. I kind of was like, am I going to be okay? But I knew the end result was I was going to be in Greece and I was going to be DJing this incredible wedding. Was it on one of the islands? It was in Athens at oh. right on the water. So there's a place called Glyphara, which is like the Hamptons of Greece, you know, on a seaside, on a beautiful mountain overlooking the ocean. It was incredible. What was great about that was they paid for me to go, which was fantastic. And then I said, do you mind if I go for a lot longer because I want to make this a holiday? And then I thought, well, should I go overseas? Should I go and do this and that? But obviously I have a lot of work in Melbourne and Australia that I have to come back to. So I made sure that I got back to Rhodes, which is the hotel that I worked in 18 years ago. (laughs) So I went back and it was really interesting going back there. Is that where your family is from? Yeah, my family's all from there. So my grandfather got a loan. What an awful place to have family from. Awful. Terrible. My grandfather got this loan from the bank, a $2 million loan, because my grandfather's in the building business. And he's like, I'm going to build this hotel. And they're like, you're nuts. And he's like, no, I'm going to build this hotel. I'm going to make money come into Rodos. And, you know, so he built this incredible hotel on a beach and then like made all the money back within two years. Wow. And he just killed it. We have this huge family. Like my dad's like got five brothers and sisters. So they were always going over. Dad was always going over there. I think he was using the whole, I just want to go to the airport. (laughs) Might as well go to Greece while I'm here. Yeah, might Uh, as well. Going for a coffee. Sorry, I'll see you in three months. (laughs) That's what it was like. So, yeah, so it's always been a dream to get back there and not work. Yeah. And go back having kind of made it as because I literally had just started DJing when I went there the first time. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, you're crazy. What are you doing? So did you DJ in the hotel? Well, this was the whole point of me going there in the first place. I'd said to my uncle, can I come there and start the nightclub? Yeah, yeah, come. Yeah, come, of course. You know, Greeks. Yeah, come. Yeah, it'd be good. It'd be awesome. Don't worry about it. Let's go. I was like, can I bring a friend? Yeah, anyone. Bring everyone. You know. (laughs) And then I bring a friend and my poor friend had to work downstairs in the basement with a chain smoking dude folding towels for eight hours a day. Sauce babes. And no, I never got to start that nightclub. I was a waitress. Oh, no. And I'm not a good waitress. I was, I cost them a lot of money and broken plates. And not the good time. (laughs) Not the good time. (laughs) (laughs) Every time too. So no, I didn't. But when I went to London, I started DJing and that's where I kind of picked up the skills. And that's a hard place to start. Yeah. Because they're all pretty full on about their music there and mixing. And I was really bad. And I made it that point from there. I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to come back. So then full circle, I went on tour with All Saints and Craig David, who I'd seen when I was in London in 2001, just go to the concert and now I'm DJing with them and I was telling them the story. Because Craig David is a DJ too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he was like, you're really good. You are. 
I was like, yeah, all right, mate. And he goes, no, I, I wouldn't just say that to anybody. Like, you're actually talented. Like, you're fantastic. I went, oh, thanks, babes. I said, yeah, I really want to. Tell me more. Tell me more. Keep going. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, I really want to come back because it's, the, you know, it's a place where I learned to DJ. And he's like, if you come back, we'll look after you. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. So I would really love to go back and do that. Hit him up. I'm going to. Yeah. I, I schmoozed with the manager, so it's all good. Because <laughs> when I was in Greece at George Calambaris's wedding, I became, this is the name dropping segment of the podcast. <laughs> I became really good friends with Nigella Lawson. Oh, yeah. And she happened to be in Sydney for the Craig David show a couple of months ago. I introduced her to Craig's manager. He had no idea who I was talking I was like, would, would you like to meet Nigella? I didn't even get to say Lawson and she just walked over and said, hello, darling. And he kind of said he was trying to shoo me away. Kind of like, I don't have time to meet your friend, Maria. See you later. Then he noticed it was Nigella Lawson and all of a sudden his vision of me became completely different. <laughs> it's like, oh, you're somebody because you know somebody. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> okay, let's name drop. Who else have you worked with? Everyone. <laughs> everyone? I mean, look, to be honest with you, the, the, the grand scheme of all of this is for me to go overseas to America and do all the Oscars and Emmys and Grammy after parties. Like that's really what I want to be doing. That's your goal. That's my goal. That has been my goal for a long time and then I kind of left it and went, that's never going to happen. And now because I'm back, now got this new kind of lease on this career, I'm like, this could happen. Yeah. I could it's going to happen. It will happen. It, I, will. it was always like, you know, next stop Ellen. Got to be on Ellen at some point. Yeah, I want Ellen on my show too. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's going to happen. I totally want her. I want her to talk all about the gorillas. Oh, my God. Her, her conservatory that Porsche <laughs> bought her. Love it. Yeah, I've done a lot of high profile stuff. Yes. So you also worked with Boys to Men and TLC? Yep. That was like TLC. They were the girls that like made it okay for me to dress like a boy, you know. That was that kind of style. When I saw it, I was like, oh, I want to wear that. And then I did and walking down the street in Adelaide, it was just like, you're a fool. You look like a clown. <laughs> I don't care. So when you travel around working on these shows, do you all stay in the same hotel? How does it work? Are you treated just like they are? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the first day when you get to the airport and you're all there, they kind of don't know who you are. They're like, who's this person? And they're not, they're kind of a little bit not standoffish, but they don't know who I am. I mean, I introduce myself to everybody. I'm that kind of person that can look after myself too. I don't need to be part of the team or yeah. – and I definitely know not to overstep the mark. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we all travel together and that – like, I mean, yeah, definitely talking about TLC, that was the first kind of big tour that I went on, the whole tour with them. The first day we were in Sydney, we landed in Sydney and we were going somewhere else and we were all at the airport together and I was like – this is so random. I'm with them now. And all these people were coming up getting autographs and stuff and I'm just like standing there going, and they were like, you know, who are you? And I'm like, you'll know. <laughs> Give me a year, you'll know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and then we'd all have to get on the flight together. But obviously they'll go into first class and we'll go into economy X. Okay. You know, because now I'm freaking flyer like crazy, triple platinum. Yeah, and then, we, you know, we'll fly together and then get off and get the transfer and then go to the hotel together. And then they'll go. So and is do it the things. same with accommodation? Their accommodation is quite fancy, and yours is the standard. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But when we were in Perth, we stayed at this incredible hotel. I had somebody in my room coughing next to me that wouldn't stop coughing, and I was just like, uh, uh. And we were there for three days, and I called and I said, "Look, I have this person that's coughing the whole time on this tour. I need my rest." But by then, oh, you're with the touring party. I was like, yeah. And they're like, I said, could you possibly move me to another room? And they called back and said, we don't have anything. At your room rate, we found something else though for you. We'll just come and grab your bag. So I went, okay, took me up to a penthouse. Ooh. 
I went up to the pen. I, I actually, I don't have to pay extra, right? <laughs> like yeah. I'm here for three days. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. We just want you to be comfortable. And I was like, holy moly, this is crazy. And then T-Boz from TLC came up to my room because we, we'd had dinner and she, she'd heard about the story of Mafia's room. She came up and she goes, this is nicer than my, what the? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm the star now. <laughs> So now so we know what crazy. to do when we, yeah, next right. time. Yeah. Tip, guys. Yeah. Is that life hack for you? Yes. Coughing person next door. Actually, and I. And say you're with a touring party. Yeah. Well, without being with a touring party, I've actually done that in a hotel before where there's been an issue and they have upgraded me to a stunning room. So maybe <laughs> that is something that we should be doing more of. Definitely. You know, those complaining people. Sometimes yeah. I get it. That works. But you still got to be nice when you complain. 100%. Uh, if you're. <laughs> Not a nice person. They won't give you anything. That's right. That's true. You got to be personable still. Yes. But yes, so we all travel together and we've all got our like, you know, lobby calls that we have to get to that will do the gig, then the after party and then literally go back to the hotel, which is probably the first time you get to the hotel at 2am and get like one hour sleep and get back to the lobby to get on a flight to go somewhere else. Wow. And then that's kind of on a rotation for two weeks. So you DJ the event. Yep. The concert. And so, then you DJ the after party as well? Let me tell you what I do. Tell <laughs> me. It's not even just that. I DJ in between all the acts. So R&B Fridays Live, I was DJing five sets. So I was in between all the first five acts and Horizon did the last part. So I would have to be at the venue an hour, two hours beforehand to start, get sound checked. Then I would do these insanely high-intensity sets that would go for half an hour depending on how long the act's going to take if they're not even there I'll have to keep playing whatever it's all like you know it's all kind of uh, come as you go there's no real time limit so it's like you do this incredible set of energy because you got to keep people going off and dancing and then you come down while the act goes on and you take a breath and you go all right I'm okay I'm gonna be okay and then get back on stage and go up again and it's five times you're doing that and that just ruins your body and then you do that and then I finished at probably 8. So I'd start at 3, finish at 8 and then have dinner. Would go back to the hotel to have a shower if I had time and then go and do an after party. So I'd be the first one at the after party and have to keep playing until one of the acts rocked up. And it was a lot. <laughs> it was so when lot. the act rocks up, do they perform at the after party? Yeah, so they'll perform. They'll do a song or something. Oh, Yeah, okay. which is really cool. Yeah, okay. It's really cool. It's a cool idea because it just keeps the party going. Yeah. But it's just... We, we don't stop though, you know, and yeah. especially the local DJs. Like, you know, and I understand very well my role in this, that I have to be there no matter what and just to cover and be incredibly professional and be on time and have that energy no matter what. And that's where the acting comes in. Yeah. And then, then good I die. Yeah. yeah. It really is. It really is because I really have no control over my energy, especially when there's an audience. I'm like, wow. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I'm dying. Yeah. And it's the body that dies. Absolutely. You know, my energy levels can stay up, but my body's just like, uh-uh, no more. Mm. So that was intense. And then on top of that, flying. Because you'd be sore and you kind of just want to lay down, but you can't lay down. You have to be in a seat. Yeah, and if you listen to my last week's episode with Anna Ray, she talks about how bad the seats are yeah. and how awfully designed they are for our posture and our body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not fun because I remember like when we were in Perth because it was it's such a time delay, a time difference. I literally did the show and it was the first show of the tour, so I was just thrown in and I was like, "Whoa, this is going to be intense!" And then did the after party. They pulled my laptop out, packed it up, and I went straight to the airport. 
and got on a 1am flight to land in Melbourne at 7am to get to the hotel. Actually, we didn't stay at the hotel. I went, I got to go home, which was kind of cool because then I could just like have a bath in my house. And then two hours later, have a driver come pick me up and do the show in Melbourne. Because I'd been doing all those shows and it was the first one in Perth and then getting on that overnight flight. It was a lot and I was like quite – I kind of got to the end of it going, I'm really proud of myself because I didn't break. Yeah. And then two weeks hit and I was like, oh, here we go. Yeah, so for my international listeners, Perth to Melbourne is quite a fair way. So what is it, three and a half? Four, four. three-hour to four-hour flight yeah. and then there's a three-hour time difference. Yeah. So I flew at 1 a.m. Perth time and landed in Melbourne at 7 a.m. So it was kind of a little – I think that was daylight saving as well. Yeah, not ideal. N- not ideal. But the only way we could make it work to get me there, that's fine. So when you're travelling, what luggage do you take with you? If I'm doing the R&B Friday club nights, so on a Friday night, I'll literally just take carry-on and I'll just oh. have on my on one side of my suitcase is my DJ gear. I don't like to check that in because yeah. I don't want to get it lost. Well, that was going to be necessary. my – yeah, that was going to absolutely be my but question. But that's, that's lucky for that kind of a gig. Uh, all, all my gigs, whatever I'm doing, I will always make sure I've got my DJ gear with me. Can I ask and you now, what undies. is <laughs> – undies are very important. And a pair of undies, Yeah. yeah. What kind of – what is DJ gear? Like what do you use? So I have my headphones. I have my laptop. I have a MIDI board, which is a board that's got like coloured buttons on it, which I trigger all my samples and my cue points. And it's basically so I don't have to use the computer. And I have – what else do I have? All my cords, my USB stick and my charger. It's a lot smaller than it used to be. Like I, I started when it was – you literally had to take crates of vinyl on the mm. plane. And it was excess luggage. So yeah. you'd be paying through the roof. Yeah. I mean, there's DJs that still do it. They'll take their mixer with them, like something like your console here. Yep. They'll take something quite big with them. I don't trust airlines enough to get it to the next spot. So I travel as light as possible. I've parred it right down. Yeah. Just to the bare essentials. And I'm lucky because every club I go to, I'm just rock- rocking up and the equipment's all there. I just stick my laptop in. I use a program called Serato that most hip-hop DJs now use. It's basically you have all your records on the computer now. Okay. So you don't have to carry them with you anymore. Yeah. But you can still play exactly like you've been playing with records. It's I incredible. Can imagine how much would how many would have been damaged. Oh, it wouldn't. No. Then that's the other thing too because these are prized possessions, this vinyl, and yeah. it's like just the buckling of the heat. And stuff as well. It's yeah, it was a lot because that was the thing. The flight cases were so heavy as well because they were like so protective of the vinyl. So everything you just broke your back. Mm. Yeah, it was another time. Yeah, like you listen to my episode with Lane Beachley. She talks about carrying her boards, like twelve boards, through the airport. Oh (laughs) my god, they look like we had body bags. It was all these people. (laughs) And love her oversized luggage. So she does oversized luggage every time, right? And she says that they get broken. Yeah. So I can imagine something like vinyls that yeah. are such a loved and sometimes passed down families and all kinds oh, of yeah. things. Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. We didn't have the backup. We could just put it on a USB stick and just go. I mean, we have it so easy now. But that's great. I mean, it's been really interesting to watch the evolution of the DJ world happen in front of my eyes and like have been in it so long now to be able to see that and see how like everything, everything is so much more accessible now. It wasn't mm. back then. But I'm happy to have lived that. Yeah. And I guess that gives you a different skill set as well. Yeah. And look, to be honest with you, no one was flying for gigs back in the 
late 90s, early 2000s, the only people that were flying DJs in Australia were the guys that were doing like, they call them the DMC competition, which is where they do all the scratching of the vinyls, they call it turntablism. Mm -hmm. Those guys were flying because all the competitions that were going on, no one else was really getting flown places. Like that wasn't really a huge thing back then in Australia. I mean, there's always been DJs, not that I know of many people. I definitely – it took me a long time till I actually was kind of like, we're going to fly you to here. And I was just – I remember some girl came to one of my gigs and was like, I'm flying you to Bali to DJ at my wedding. I was like, yeah, good one. She goes, no, literally, I'm doing it. I'm booking the flight tomorrow. Really? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're DJing at my wedding. You're incredible. I was like, okay, cool. And then that happened. Did it? Yeah, and I got completely all expense paid. One week trip. She's like, "I'm getting, I'm, you're coming, and you're coming to the wedding. You're gonna be part of the party, do all this." And I was just like, "This is crazy! Wow, wow!" To think, you know, just playing records. This is what happened. Was that when you had to take everything with you? No, no. no. So I still had my vinyl and stuff, and then we saw somebody in Bali that could have all the equipment and stuff like that. No, I don't know if I'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't imagine it. But, you know, I also don't remember DJs being kind of famous when I was younger. You didn't do it for that reason. That's why. Yeah. That's when why now, it's different now. You now know. there's people going into it to try and get famous, 100%. isn't there? It's what it's all about now. It's the fame and the perception of fame. The reason why I guess I feel like I've been going for so long is because I've had passion behind it. Yeah. The passion has driven me. I literally d- don't know what else I'd do. I have no backup plan. I haven't for 20 years and it's been like, I hope this works. <laughs> and so luckily for me, you know, I've been able to reinvent and reinvent and reinvent and just keep getting booked and keep getting booked because I've kept that energy up the whole time. And that's, you know. And I you're good at what you do. Well, I'm good at what I do, of course. Like, you know, I'm, because I've worked at it. There's a lot of practice and there's a lot of there's a lot of hours that go into kind of making really good shows. I mean, there was a point there where I was like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And, you know, you rest on your laurels a little bit and then you go, oh, here comes another younger girl coming up that's going to charge so much less than me and she's going to get booked because all her friends are going to come to the club too. And it's all on Insta. It's all on Insta and they're great at all that and I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Well, now I'm better at it. Been, it's been a trip watching how it's all evolved. So do you have any horror stories from your trips? Well, that Greece trip was pretty intense. It was fantastic. And I've always been really lucky with flights. I mean, there was one flight when I was in Adelaide where I was I was going to Adelaide and I was flying back the same day. So I was flying in to do a gig for Adidas and then two hours later I was going to be back on a plane because I had a gig back in Melbourne. I remember coming into Adelaide and my parents were going to pick me up because my parents, Adelaide Airport, oh, let's go get Maria. <laughs> have a coffee Uh, (laughs) so they were waiting for me to go to this uh, adidas gig and as we came in it was some bad weather it hit adelaide like really bad as we came to land it was like nope and went straight back up and i was like what the hell is going on and then not only once he went back around again and tried it again and couldn't land and we were so close to the ground we just went and the second time he went back up, we literally nearly went vertical. Oh it was my gosh. like it just went up. and Your stomach would drop. I hate that feeling. Oh, my God. It was just like what the hell is going on? And then it basically we flew all the way back to Melbourne. It never landed in Adelaide. And we got back to Melbourne in probably 35 minutes. He was going so fast. And we landed and everyone had to stay on the plane because they were going to divert it back to Adelaide once the weather had cleared. And I went, hi, hey, so I'm actually going to be meant to be back in Melbourne in like an hour. 
can I get off the flight? And they weren't going to let me off. Because, really? Yeah, they had, they weren't, they, there was no. Not meant to. Not meant to. They were just docked, ready, waiting for the weather to get it back. And I said. Because then you just had to get a flight back, <laughs> back. from there to was, back to Melbourne. I was like, can you, I can't, just look at my return flight. It's literally in an hour. And they're like, oh yeah, right. So they made, they got me off, but everyone complained because everyone wanted to just get off the plane. Yeah. Because I was like, this plane is not landing. Something's wrong with it, you know, because yeah. they didn't realise it was the weather. And so I So they the didn't tell you? No, they didn't tell us. Oh, I don't like when they don't keep you informed no. of what's going on. No. And you know what? They're getting better at that now. Yeah. Because I've gone on a lot of flights that are just waiting and they get a little bit too specific and you're like, I don't know if I want to know this. Yeah. I've had some where they've said, you know, it's a mechanical issue. And I was like, I'm sitting on your plane. You're telling me that's a mechanical <laughs> issue. God. I don't want to be on this plane. Is there ice on the wing? Is there ice on the wing? Because I watch so much air crash investigation. Oh, like, don't do that. I'm Why obsessed. do you do that? <laughs> I am obsessed because I'm sick and I have this fear of flying that I just kind of, in my mind, I've told myself it's only because now you'll know what to do in case it crashes. <gasps> Why do I do this to myself? I don't I always know. count the number of rows to the exit. So if I'm in the dark or I'm underwater, I can figure out how to get out. Really? Oh, my God, I'm hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> I do not have my strategies in place. Wait, do you have a, a special place on the plane you like to get your seat, like at the back, the front? I'm always in Economy X now and it's usually four or five C on the aisle because three right at the front of Economy X, they have the bloody tray table and the – yeah, because they don't have the TVs anymore because you bring your own iPad. They have the tray table in the seat. So the seats are actually not as wide and I've got a big old butt. And I'm like a sardine in those seats. I can't be comfortable. So they're like the exit rows ones, The exit right? rows, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so it pops up from there because you can't yeah. do it from the seat in front of yeah. you. And so I've learned to not sit is in them. That, is that the difference? Yeah, I, because the, the, the whole seat arm is wider because it's got to accommodate for the thing inside it, the, oh, t- the tray table. I know they're more uncomfortable, but I had never actually That's clicked. That's not the reason. Because I remember going to New Zealand for a flight and I was literally had to sit forward because I couldn't even get back my bum was so big (laughs) I was like oh my god I'm in here for four and a half hours shoot so I learned that lesson hard and because I'm platinum now I get to you know just get that seat whenever I want which is good and then I get nicely upgraded too which is cool but that was one horror story the other one was when I was in Greece for the Kalambaras wedding flying back we flew back through Dubai when I got off the plane I heard someone say over the loudspeaker you know Dubai is a silent airport make sure you go to the gate what and does a, like, silent What's airport? a silent yeah. airport? Yeah, I've oh, been to Dubai many weird. times. I've never heard of this. Yeah, so maybe it's a new thing. Okay, I don't know. I'd never been to Dubai, so this was quite new for me. I remember going. All right, so I get to the gate, and everyone's just stormed the gate. So everyone's at the gate waiting because we had like a two-hour wait for our flight to Melbourne. Well, there's nowhere to sit there, so I'm just going to go for a little walk, go to Duty Free, check out some stuff, maybe get some macas, whatever. And it's like two in the morning or one in the morning. And then like at two or three, I think my flight was meant to go, I can't remember, like tw- like at two o'clock. And so around oh, quarter past one, was it? I thought, I'll just go and check and see what time we're boarding. And I was literally 20 metres away from the gate and I went to the gate to see when we were boarding and there was no one at the gate, like no one. And I went, uh-oh. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> What's going on? And I went up to the guys at the counter and I went, hey, just wanted to know what time the Melbourne flight is boarding. And I went, what Melbourne flight? And I went, the one that's leaving at two? And I went, it's already left. I went, excuse me? And they went, it left. It left an hour ago. I went, no, 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 no. And I was like showing them my watch and on my phone. 
my phone and my watch because I went on roaming hadn't updated. Oh. So I was still an hour behind. I was still on Greek time and I had completely missed the flight. I started going into fight or flight. What the hell am I, what am I doing? And I said, what, 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 do, you, what do you mean? What do I do? They're like, you're going to have to go back down to Emirates and try and get on another flight. And I went, where is that? And he's telling me and I'm like going, I am so not listening to you right now because I don't know what's happening. You're in panic Can mode. Someone please take me there. And I'm trying to calm myself but I can't. Someone take me there and they're like, You'll figure it out. It's a gate 12, turn left. And I'm like, all right, gate 12, turn left. So I'm just like walking going, what the hell? And I'm in like this strange airport. I don't know what's going on. And it's big airport too. And now I realise silent airport means, oh, yeah, I haven't heard any announcements. Oh. So I don't give announcements at all. Wow. Okay. I don't know if I've ever realised that. Maybe that's happened and I haven't even jerried to that. Yeah, because you were probably just at the gate waiting. You did the right thing and went straight to the gate. Possibly. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to get Maccas. I I remember I was like Instagram storing like all my stories and I was like, yeah, I've got ages. What an idiot. I blame Instagram and I blame Apple (laughs) for not updating my phone. Anyway, so I went down to Emirates and found the – place and I was like oh, I'm so sorry hey can I um get a new flight because I missed my flight and they're like what do you mean and I went I'm, I've totally the flight left without me and they said all right ding, 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 ding. and she's like we can get you on the 9am flight this is now like 3am it's going to cost $1,700 and I went and she goes, show me your ticket. And I showed her my ticket. She goes, oh, you didn't book through us. You booked through Qantas. You need to call Qantas. They don't have a desk here. So you have to call them. They'll figure it out for you. And I went, oh, okay, great. I'm on 12% phone. Oh, Hadn't my got a charger because I didn't even bother to get a charger that can charge into like the Dubai airport, that socket. So I oh, called the converter. The converter. Yeah, yeah. So I called Qantas. So I've learned that lesson, carry a converter everywhere and a battery pack. So I called Qantas. I was on hold for two hours. <gasps> I just kept getting the music and I was just like, it's going to pick up. It's going to pick up. It's going to pick up. And it didn't. It just never picked up. So two hours went by. With 12% battery. 12%. I had everything on like, you couldn't even see my phone. Like it yeah. was on dark. And then finally someone picked up and went, oh, my God, thank you so much for picking up. Oh, my God. So I've missed my flight. And she was like, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. We'll get you another, we'll get you another flight. That's fine. What's your – give me your frequent flyer number because I noticed that you didn't buy the ticket because George Calambaris's people had bought the ticket for me. And I was like, all right. So I gave him my frequent flyer and I was like, can I just give you like my credit card details because my phone's about to die. And she's like, oh, oh yeah, okay. So I gave him my credit card de- The last number, the phone hung up. You have never heard somebody in a silent airport scream so loud. <laughs> no! In Dub- oh, no. It was like a movie. I couldn't believe it. So you didn't know if there was another flight for you no, and you were going to be on another no flight? No idea. No idea. And I'd looked at my phone and I still had like 3%. I was like, it wasn't – it didn't hang up. Something happened. She must have hung up. What happened? And I called my brother in a panic. He goes, just buy another ticket. Buy the $1,700 ticket. You're an idiot. You missed your flight. You didn't pay for the ticket in the first place. Just chalk it up to bad luck. Go to the lounge. Get a vodka and calm down. And I was like – I love you so much because I just needed someone to tell me what to do. Yeah. And then as I was speaking to him, the phone called back and I was like, oh, my God, I get to hang up. I reckon it's the Qantas lady. And it was. And the only reason she had my number was because I'd given my frequent flyer number and she found my mobile number. She, she goes, I can't believe it hung up. I'm so sorry. She goes, I put it through. You can go to the desk and get your ticket. So I got my ticket. And then, awesome, I've got my ticket. She goes, oh, no, 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 it hasn't gone through yet. And I went, no, it's gone through. I've got my ticket. 
And she's like, no, it hasn't. The payment hasn't gone through yet. This, How did you get the ticket? And I went, because the guy at the counter gave it to me. And the guy at the counter was like, who are you talking to? And I went, Qantas. And he goes, hang up. So I was like, all right, thank you, bye. Hung up. Am I going to get on the flight? And he goes, yeah, you'll get on the flight. You'll be fine. Okay. So by this time, it's like 5.36 o'clock. So I've already got three hours to wait. So I got on the flight, got home, never got charged for the ticket. Yeah. I was thinking it's quite odd that they did because normally if you miss a flight, they just bump you to the next flight. No, she was going to charge me like $800. Yeah. So that's why she was like, the payment hadn't gone through for some reason, but he got. Anyway, long story short, I got home. So where was your luggage? This is what I was working out. So what happens to my luggage? Yeah, because it should have been on the plane. They shouldn't have been taken. They shouldn't have taken off without you if they know that you're in the airport. Right. When I get to the console, the, the place where you pick up the luggage in Melbourne, I went straight to like the uh, customer service centre and I yeah. said, is my luggage here? Because I missed my flight. And they're like, what do you mean you missed your flight? I went, I missed my flight. So my luggage would be with you because it would have arrived early. He goes, no, the luggage never comes before you. It comes with you or after you. Hang on back. So the flight, he goes, the luggage will be on the conveyor belt now. It's coming off of the flight that's on now, the flight that you got on. I was like, how did they know? So did they, what happened? Because it did come with me on that flight. Hmm. That is weird. So they would have taken it off. They must have. At the last minute, found it. That's really bizarre. I've I don't never know, heard of that. I'm not even going to ask. I'm like, I don't know how, what this whole thing has been so weird. Yeah. But it's kind of instilled my faith in travel because it was like I was so well looked after from somebody. Because mm. I wasn't really, I really wasn't stranded. I didn't have to pay an extra flight and I got my luggage. Phew. <laughs> well, that's really lucky. Really lucky. Because I'd never had a horror story. Mm. Thank God. That was me knocking on the table. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> I've only missed one flight, which was coming back from Vegas. I, I took too long shopping at the Nike outlet store. <laughs> and Going back to our sneaker fetish. Yes. Yeah, totally. And so ended up at LAX and my flight was there. I was literally like one minute after the time to check in. So the check-in had just yes. ca- closed. Oh, no, in one minute. In one minute, yeah. And I was like, please, I'm here. I'll run. I'll do whatever you need. They're like, nope. And they're so hardcore at LAX. Oh, right. So they just didn't. But they then just put me on the next flight. Oh, great. Yeah, it was great. I ended up standby and I had I was getting into Chicago where I had some beautiful friends that were picking me up and I had to ring them and tell them that I missed my I flight. <laughs> and I was like, now it gets in at a ridiculous time during the night. And she's like... Like, it's fine. I'll still get you. I'm like, you're still the best. You're the the best. best. You're the best. You're the best. But I ended up just being on standby for that flight. And it just happened that the people that were on standby before me weren't there to accept it. And so it was like three people that were like, no show, no show, no show. Me. So you got on the flight. And I was like, yes, I'm on. I'm here. As soon as they called out my name, I was like, me, me, me. Oh my God. That is the best. Yeah. Yeah. We got some travel gods looking after us. Uh huh. Yeah. Cause I, as I said, I'm really scared of flying and I'm like, what are the chances that something bad is going to happen? None. No, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Just really put that in the universe tonight. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> I never realized that there was a thing called hot pockets in the air as well. We flew a lot over summer in that 40 degree heat and right at the back of the plane too because we would somehow get like the last flight. Everything was so last minute over summer. I remember the guy saying, (laughs) the guy, the pilot going, 
It's going to be a little bit of a bumpy uh, takeoff. Uh, we'll get through it. It'll be fine. It's a little bit of hot pocket in the air. Hot pocket? What's, What's that? What's a hot pocket? Oh, well, that sounds saucy. I nearly, yeah, dropped my guts. Like it was hardcore. Yeah. It, I've never had a flight that you can literally, because you're looking forward mm-hmm. and you can see the whole plane. It's literally going like up and down, side to side. It's going to buckle. Are we going to survive? Yeah. And I've never gone through anything like that. I always thought it was like thunder or lightning, yeah. But the heat, no. But anyway. Yeah, I don't know if I've been aware of that. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. But mm. it was they were really hot, so I'm, yeah. I get it. I've been on the plane where it does that sudden drop and you, it, like you lift oh, yeah. out of your seat. Oh, no, I've not done that Oh, one. I've had that a couple of times. Oh, that's really scary. I have a thing where, you know, it kind of like they level out and then they decide to go up a bit further and it's like they go up a little too quickly and you can feel it in your head, the G-forces going, oh, my God, if this doesn't stop, my head's going to pop off. Yeah. And then they yeah, kind of to just equalize. At, yeah. at the, at just at that peak where you're going, I'm going to die. <laughs> and now we leveled off now. <laughs> yeah. Like I wonder what it would be like to fly one, a plane. I've had, I've had an amazing pilot on here and she is brilliant and she loves it. I love when the, the lady comes over on the speaker and it's a chick who's flying. I'm like, yes. Yeah, she said people clap for her all the time. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Is she virgin? Does she no, fly she's virgin? US. Oh, a US. US airline. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, you are so international. I'm so international. International podcast DJ. Oh, Ooh, look at you. Totally. <laughs> we are approaching our destination. Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts for the final five. Your favourite city or town? New York. By far? Hands down. Really? Love it. Concrete jungle. Concrete jungle, jungle, yeah. Empire State of Mind. I love it. I'm dying to get back. I'm going for my 50th. Just aged myself, didn't I? Whoopsie. (laughs) Going for my 30th. Um, (laughs) Definitely. Weirdest food you've ever eaten? Oh, I eat a lot of food. Something odd, weird. Yeah, what of chicken feet? No, that's not. Yeah, chicken feet. I don't know. You don't try weird things? I don't try weird things. No. Chicken feet I've had and I'm like, oh, no, not for me. Beaches or mountains? Oh, because you know what? I live beachside, but I really love going up to the hills and in the rainforest or in the forest. I love both. Oh, can I say both? <laughs> no. Okay, beaches then definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I love a beach. There's something about being on a beach. It's just just the open water. The Makes sound of the waves. Good, you know? mm, me too. Clears your mind. A tourist site that you'd recommend is a must-see. Oh, the Acropolis is pretty incredible. I'm actually going to say that hill that George Calabrose had his wedding on overlooking the ocean because it also is where the planes are landing. So when the sun's coming down, you see the plane land through the sunset and it's absolutely magical and I can understand why he chose that point. Couldn't tell you where it is, but it's in a place called Glyphara in Athens. And it was just... Is it a tourist site? Can people go and yeah, see it? Yeah, they have restaurants and bars up on the top, right on the top of the mountain. Can you say thank you in another language? Afgaristo. <laughs> I knew you were going to go Greek. Dankeschön. Yeah, Dankeschön. Yeah, that's it. I learnt German. I learnt French too. What's French? Merci. Merci. Oh, yeah, because I always say Merci Boat Shoes. Merci Boat Shoes. <laughs> Thank you so much. I've got a store, I've got a my store. Greek sister. <laughs> <laughs> for joining me. It's been amazing listening you. to you and travelling the world as a DJ. I want to be a podcaster now. I love this get up. It's so amazing, guys. If only, if only you could see it. <laughs> I could imagine. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, my love. 
Thanks for listening to With You Every Step, hosted by Michelle Lee. We do hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, make sure you tell everybody. If you didn't, nobody likes a Debbie Downer. Please subscribe to get up to date with our latest releases and give us a thumbs up on our social media at With You Every Step. We love to hear from you. If you have any questions or inquiries, head to the Contact Us page at our website, michellelee.com. That's also where you'll find all our blogs mentioned in the podcast. We love to hear from you and if we have inspired you to travel. Thanks for listening. Love life and adventure on.